Reading this morning is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, and it's verses 46 to 55, Mary's song. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Chris. I begin today with a revelation. Despite the evidence of your eyes, I'm actually old enough to remember when we used to chant the words of our Bible reading in 17th century language, I'll have you know, during every evening service. To be honest, I couldn't see the point of it at the time, and I can't really see the point of it now. But what I can see is that in this song of joy, Mary who may have been no more than a teenager, was inspired to proclaim age-old truths about the character of God. Now, in one sense, Mary's joy at the news that she was expecting a child is completely understandable. But given the circumstances of this particular birth, her response might well have been very different. Now, as we know, she was engaged to Joseph, and in the culture of that time, this means that they were legally married in all senses except living together. And it was in this situation that Mary received the bombshell news from the angel Gabriel that her child would be the son, not of Joseph, but of God. So the question was, how would Joseph react? Would he seek a divorce? If he did, Mary would be regarded as little more than a prostitute. And would Joseph be so angry that he would exercise his right to have Mary stoned to death at the town gates? So Mary's reaction might well have been something along these lines. Lord, well, this is a rather inconvenient time. Lord, Joseph isn't going to be too impressed by this news. Lord, what will the neighbours say? Lord, can I get a second opinion on this? But no, as Helen's reminded us, in verse 38, Mary's response was quite remarkable. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. 
Now we read in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. But I think that Mary's song reminds us of something that many of us adults need to learn, that sometimes it's as blessed to receive as to give. For some reason, it's hard for adults to receive gifts. Do you remember how, when you were a child, you were up as early as your parents would allow you on Christmas Day, so you could get your hands on the gifts? And then the older you got, the later you woke up on Christmas morning. Receiving gifts didn't seem quite so important. Mary's song celebrates God's gift to the world, a saviour who came to save and forgive those who respond to his call. And sadly, of course, there are in every generation many people who fail to receive this gift. I want to focus on verses 51 to 53 because they show us three types of people who don't want God's Christmas gift, who've closed themselves off from receiving God's love. Most are outside the fellowship of the church, but I want to suggest that some are not. Even if we've been a Christian for many years, perhaps especially if we've been a Christian for many years, we can fail to respond to the Christmas message for one or more of the reasons which Mary identifies. Verse 51. The Lord has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. God could have brought the Messiah into the world via a powerful, wealthy family in Jerusalem. But instead, as Helen reminded us, he chose an obscure girl from a backwater town. And all this happened in a Roman society built on an elitist, racist, and an oppressive system, which made sure that the rich remained rich and the poor remained poor. There are those who consider themselves too smart to need God, whose hearts are closed to anything which cannot be proved to their satisfaction. Even a great Christian figure like John Wesley had to learn this lesson. Some of you may know this story. At the age of 21, Wesley went to Oxford University. He came from a Christian home and he was blessed with a sharp mind and good looks. But at this stage in his life, he was rather snobbish and sarcastic. And one night, he was speaking to a college porter and he discovered that this man had only one coat and he didn't even have a bed to sleep on but he was an unusually happy 
person. He was filled with gratitude to God. And Wesley thoughtlessly joked about the man's misfortunes. And what exactly do you thank God for? And the porter replied simply, I thank him that he has given me my life and being, a heart to love him, and above all, a constant desire to serve him. And Wesley later confessed that he was deeply moved by the man's humble testimony. You know, even those of us who seek to serve and follow Christ can become proud. Proud of our achievements. Proud of our possessions. Proud of our social position. And that college porter's testimony is no bad way to challenge such pride. Can you and I honestly say with him, I thank God that he has given me my life and being, a heart to love him, and above all, a constant desire to serve him. The second group of people who don't want God's Christmas gift come in verse 52. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. And God was doing this by providing a Messiah who was directly descended from King David at a time when the Herods claimed to be the rightful kings of the Jewish people. And in our age, there are those who consider themselves too powerful to need God. It's no coincidence that faith in Christ is growing fastest in developing countries where the vast majority of people are powerless to bring about positive change in their lives. While here in the powerful West, thousands of churches close down every year. Receiving the gift of Jesus as saviour means surrendering surrendering to the love of God. And for the most part, powerful people don't take well to such humble behaviour. To surrender in this way to the love of God doesn't provide magic protection, but there are clear instances of God lifting the humble and bringing down rulers. I've recounted before the the true story of the people of Feldkirch in Austria two centuries ago. Threatened by the army of Napoleon Bonaparte, the villagers met in the local church to decide whether to fight or to surrender. It was Easter Sunday and the minister said, we've been counting on our own strength and that seems to have failed. On this day of our Lord's resurrection, let us just ring the bells, have our service as usual, and leave the matter in the hands of God. We know only our weakness and the power of God to defend us. So the villagers 
accepted the minister's plan. And the church bells rang out. And the enemy, hearing the bells, concluded that the Austrian army had arrived during the night. And before the service ended, they broke camp and left. Power in this world is fleeting. Two years ago today, Barack Obama, David Cameron and Francois Hollande, as the most powerful figures in the United States, the United Kingdom and France, were key international statesmen. And today, of course, they're all out of office. And their voices no longer carry the weight they did such a short time ago. And we don't have to be world figures to be so entranced by power, however modest the environment in which we operate, to be so entranced by power that we fail to respond to the saviour sent by God. So neither the proud nor the powerful want God's Christmas gift. And then in verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent away the rich empty. There are today those who are too comfortable to need God. You see, if we're not hungry, food doesn't look good to us. If we're not cold, the idea of a warm coat doesn't appeal to us. And just so, if we feel we have everything we need, then God's love will mean very little to us. For us, there may well be things that cause us to be discontented. But in our heart of hearts, we know that we are more comfortable than most people in the world. And the danger for us is that if our hands are busy patting our stomachs, we can't reach out and accept God's Christmas gift to us. So who can receive God's gift of a saviour this Christmas? Well, simply those whose hands are open to receive. Think of a baby wanting to be picked up, arms and hands wide open. Children have got none of the pomposity of the proud, they've got no pretense of power, and none of the perks of the comfortable. That's why they're able to accept gifts so easily. There's nothing holding them back. And that's a picture for us today. Whether we've known Jesus as our saviour for decades, or whether we're reaching out to God for the first time. You know, Mary's words in verses 51 to 53 are words of revolution, words to turn the world upside down. Verse 51, he scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. This is all about the death of pride before God. It's a moral revolution. 
Verse 52. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. This puts an end to the world's labels and ideas of prestige. It's a social revolution. And then verse 53. He's filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. That's an economic revolution. You may have heard the observation that in our culture, we tend to worship our work, work at our play, and play at our worship. I wonder if that's the spirit in which we will receive God's gift to us this Christmas. Or will we begin to grasp something of the earth-shattering nature of what God did 2,000 years ago, beginning here in the life of Mary? Amen.